Hey, good morning, church family. It was great to pull up in a parking lot at 545 this morning and see that the lights were on at our church. Uh, last week was a little different. I miss seeing a lot of you. We had to push our worship service to 5 o'clock last Sunday because we had lost power Saturday night and Sunday morning. But it's great to be here to see some of your faces in person. Grateful for all of you joining us online today. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 1. Uh, we are spending about six sermons, four weeks, and then including December 23rd and Christmas Day, we're going to be in John chapter 1. And here's our text for the day, John chapter 1, verses uh, 6 through 9. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Uh, Vincent Van Gogh is a famous painter. You've probably seen a lot of his stuff. Uh, you may be familiar with some of his work. He was born in 1853. The, a year before, on the day, a year before the day he was born, he had a brother who was born who was also named Vincent, but that brother died the day he was born. So a year later, on the day that his mother gave birth to a stillborn child and named him Vincent, also gave birth, birth to who we now know as Vincent. Throughout his life, he grew up, he loved nature, he loved adventure, he grew up in church. His dad was a preacher. At the age of 13, he quit school. He just didn't like school. This is not to be motivation for any 13-year-olds in the house, that you can quit school at 13 and become a famous painter or artist too. But he just, he didn't like school, so he quit at 13. At the age of 24, he just didn't have much, uh, there wasn't much passion in his life. He didn't have much of self-worth. He uh, and began to sink into depression. And when he went into these depressed states, he would uh, suffer and, and spiral into pits of destruction. And then he would come out of it and embrace hope again. And as he embraced hope at the age of 24, 25, he decided he wanted to go to um, a school of theology. He wanted to go to seminary, become a preacher. And so he gave it his shot. And he became known as the Christ of the coal mine. He went to a coal mine community and he just tried to live the presence of Christ there. He was a, a pastor in that community. But it just, it, he would fall away from faith and then come back to faith. He would fall into long bouts of depression and come out of it and embrace hope. And it was the age of 27 that he found the gift of painting. It wasn't until 27 he found, like, this is something I want to give my life for. So for the last decade of his life, he died at the age of 37. He would, go, he would have these seasons of depression that he would paint, and then seasons that he would embrace hope and faith again, and then seasons he would push away from God, and seasons he would come back from God. And what is often like a secret to a lot of his work is in seasons that he would embrace hope, he took on a, a color. There was a painting, a certain color that he would paint that would show the hope in his life. So when he was depressed, it, there would be a lot of dark, paintings he would do and when he was embracing hope you would see the color yellow appear one of his famous paintings is the starry night and there are little pieces of yellow in this painting there you can see the sun has yellow and then uh, the the swirly stars would have some yellow but the one thing that was dark in this painting was the church there was no yellow in the church that he painted in the starry night this was the season of his life of deep depression and it was either he felt like God had rejected him or it was a season in his life in which he was rejecting God and not too, much, too long after that, he painted his famous painting of the raising of Lazarus, and yellow is all over this painting. It's everywhere. 
And in fact, Lazarus' face is his face. He painted his face on Lazarus' face as if to say, what Jesus did for Lazarus is what Jesus has done for me too. What Jesus did for Lazarus is what Jesus will do for me. So throughout his life, when you see yellow appear in his art, it's because he was embracing hope. And I hope for you that this will be a season, even if failure and grief has derailed you this year, that somehow in this season that we're in right now, that God will inject hope into your life, and if it doesn't sound too cheesy, that God will inject some yellow into your life. I talked last week about calendars. Uh, because a lot of us, we feel like our calendars like run our lives. Many of us have shared calendars, either with employees or with family members. They're color-coordinated, so my calendar has lunch appointments with a certain color, coffee appointments with a certain color, work appointments one color, uh, appointments with city leaders another color, and all my kids' events in a different color. Casey has all of her stuff, and we have a shared calendar. And a lot of times our calendars seem to like run our lives. We have church calendars. We have national calendars. Yesterday, December, December 3rd, was the International Day for People with Disabilities. December 4th is the National Cookie Day, which you've got to ask today. You're going to be a good American or not? And some of you hear it, and you're like, every day for me is National Cookie Day, right? We have national holidays. We have school, uh, school holidays, school calendars. Like Calendars drive so much of our lives. And if we're not careful, a lot of times, like especially when it comes to holidays, we give into what I would call like a secular calendar. And for hundreds of years, there's been the Christian calendar. Where a season like this right now is for hundreds of years. It's been called Advent by many Christians throughout the world. And what we're experiencing right now, what you see even in front of me with some candles, is, is a way, it's a visual image of the season we're in. Because what's so good about our Christian calendar is most of our spiritual lives have rhythms to them. And every year when we celebrate Christmas and a new year, it's in the darkest time of the year. And some of us need the reminder that there is new life in the dark. And every spring, we have spring and winter. They're like fighting each other, sometimes in the same day. When we will wake up at late February and in March, and it'll be 25 degrees in the morning and 78 degrees by 3 o'clock. And it's like this wrestling match of who's going to win, winter or spring. And every spring, there is new life. And in the spring, we celebrate Easter. And we reflect on our lives and then think about the impact that the resurrection of Jesus has for us. So I hope over the next few weeks for you, that God will use this as a season to remind you of the impact of Christ coming into the world and what it means for Christ returning to the world. Now in John chapter 1, 6-9, what I read to you just a moment ago is about John the Baptist. And usually when we're going through Advent or we're thinking about Christmas, we don't think John the Baptist. We think Mary and angels and Bethlehem and baby Jesus. Like we don't think John the Baptist. But when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you go, don't get the ministry of Jesus without the ministry of John the Baptist. And in the Gospel of Luke, you don't get to the miraculous birth of Christ without reading about the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. Now, most of us know John the Baptist as the crazy prophet, like the street preacher, kind of prophet kind of guy. I mean, he dressed in camel, camel hair, wore a leather belt. His diet was locusts and honey. He's the kind of guy you see him walking down the road. He's like, hold your kids a little tighter. Like, we need to stay away from that guy. Have you ever uh, been to a concert before or a sporting event or downtown in the city and you saw a street preacher on the corner? They bring their own microphone. They're yelling in the mic, 
and, and I'm sure all of you have witnessed a street, street preacher before. Maybe some of you have been one. I don't know. But when you have experienced before, like what are the thoughts that go through your head? Have you ever thought to yourself that you may be somewhat embarrassed by that moment? Or is there impact? And a lot of times they may be speaking things that are true. But is it resonating with anybody? And maybe you're a glass half full kind of person in which you may be thinking that uh, if it impacts one person, is it worth it? Have you ever driven down the interstate and you've passed billboards that say things like this right here? You pass by a billboard that may say, uh, if you die tonight, heaven or hell, what's it going to be? Or if you go to the next one, the billboards that may have, after you die, you will meet God. So on billboards, you got a chance to like ask, ask one question, make one statement. Or maybe if you go to the next one, you see billboards that in the beginning God created with an image of evolution that is crossed out. There's so much that is being said in a billboard like this. Or maybe you've seen billboards before, like this last one, that just has statements of truth, like Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. And when you see billboards like this, what do you think? Like in your head, are you thinking, does it work? Am I embarrassed by the message? Does it work? If it matters for one person, does that mean it's worth it? And in some ways, prophets like John the Baptist, they're like the street preacher. They're like the billboard. They step into public places and they just make these statements. They're like eights on the Enneagram. Like they are just, they are just full speed ahead. They're going to ask questions. They're going to challenge the system. They're going to challenge you. And this is John the Baptist. Now, we also know him as what is called a herald, a front runner, somebody who's announcing the news of something else that is coming behind him or that he is coming to the world to be the one who introduces Jesus to the world. So if you've ever been to a concert or there's a guest speaker at a church or somewhere else, a lot of times someone will introduce whoever the main show is. So my mom, she was speaking at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes event a few weeks ago, FCA, at a high school in the town Decatur where she lives outside of Fort Worth. And they asked my 16-year-old nephew to introduce her. So he stood up in front of all of his friends at FCA, and here's how he introduced my mom. This is my Grammy. She doesn't have an athletic bone in her body. And she talks a lot. Grammy. <laughs> and my mom said, it was the worst introduction I've ever had in my life. I stood up, and I didn't know if I needed to correct him, to be like, you know, I, I also run a counseling center in town. I've counseled many of you. I've written a book. Like, there are a lot of other things I've done with my life, but the introduction was, I don't have an athletic bone in my body, and I talk a lot. Like, that, that was it. And I wonder if the angels sometimes, like, saw John the Baptist doing his thing, like, living in the wilderness, dressing like he did, eating, it, like, his, his diet. Like, that's who we're going to use to introduce Jesus to the world? And maybe the world will be so excited to see anybody else other than John the Baptist, but that, that's it. Now, if you know much about the Bible, John the Baptist, his dad had a vocation. His dad had his job, and his dad was a priest. His dad was a priest. John the Baptist was a prophet. A priest would do their work in the temple or in the synagogue. Prophets would often do their work in public spaces. A priest's primary job was of divine connection. How can I help connect people to God and God to people? A prophet's primary job was to challenge the heart. A priest wanted you to know that God could wipe your sins from this world. A prophet wanted to take your sins and rub it in your face. 
So there are times I step up on the stage and I may say things like, I feel compelled by God to say things like, God desires a relationship with people and through Jesus a relationship has been made available. So turn to Jesus. It's the voice of a priest. And there are times I feel compelled by God to sometimes say, Church, you can't spend two minutes a day praying and reading your Bible and four hours a day on cable news and think you can live an unbiased life that is pleasing to God. That's the voice of a prophet. There are times I want to stand up and I feel compelled by God to say things like, Church, today, take a step to Jesus and reach to Jesus. But if you are too weak to reach for Jesus, know that Jesus is reaching for you. It's the voice of a priest. And there are times I feel compelled by God to say things like, church, God doesn't care if you have stuff and if you have wealth and resources, but God does care if those things have you and it's keeping you from living a generous life that is serving the world. It's the voice of a prophet. There are times I want to stand up and I feel compelled by God to say things like, we live in a world of competition and God doesn't care who wins or loses. God cares about the heart. It's the voice of a priest. And then there are times I want to say things like, but when it comes to the Philadelphia Eagles and the Minnesota Timberwolves, like, maybe God does care. It's the voice of a prophet, all right? Frederick Beekner once said this. Check this out. No one... No one ever invited a prophet home for dinner more than once. I, because priests had friends in respect. Prophets often didn't. You had a lot of prophets who did their work like all by themselves. And often they did their work like there was some kind of show that was being put on too. Go read Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and you have moments when prophets are like burying their underwear in the dirt like an eight-year-old boy trying to make a statement to people or walking around a town naked for three years trying to use this as a way to talk about people's relationship with God. Like prophets would do things like this. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John the Baptist is known as this crazy street preacher. But in John, he's known differently. In the Gospel of John, the way John wants you to see John the Baptist is, he's a witness to Jesus. He's not just a crazy street preacher, he's a witness to Christ. Look in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, it just tells you. I read it earlier. This is who John is. He came to be a witness to the light. And, and then it's almost like this foreshadowing of every time you see John the Baptist show up in the Gospels, there will be moments in his life when he could have taken the credit and he could have used it to like boost who he was and his influence in the world. But every time a light seemed to be shown to come upon John the Baptist, he pointed it to Christ. Like any time he could have taken credit, he pointed to Jesus. In John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28, it's like John is on trial. For there are people who have now come to John and they're asking questions of him. Who are you? Who are you witnessing about? Why are you baptizing the way you do? And in that moment, like even his answers, it's just pointing to Christ. In John chapter 1, verses 29 through 34, you see him witnessing to Jesus where he sees Jesus and what he announces to those around him is, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He says it twice. He's the Lamb of God. John understood something significant happening in the world, and his life was meant to bear witness to that. 
In, in John chapter 3, verses 25 through 30, you have John, and man, he goes all out for Jesus in John chapter 3. Where in John chapter 3, verse 30, he makes this statement, he must increase, I must decrease. When it comes to my life and ministry, I must decrease, Jesus must increase. This isn't him saying that I'm losing confidence and, and I'm chosen, I've chosen to live with none. It's I'm so confident in who I am in God that I want to live my life doing everything I can to point people to Jesus. The best witnesses in our lives are people who are not just witnessing based on head knowledge, but personal experience. It's not just that they're witnessing based on things they have studied and things they know, but they are witnessing based on the experiences in their lives. And I think it's safe to say, for most people in your life who need to hear something from Jesus, about Jesus from you, it's not just head knowledge they need, but to know in your own life how have you experienced the goodness of God. It makes the best witnesses. And for John... He was so committed, like he knew who he was, what his mission was, what his purpose was. He knew his lane, he knew his assignment, and he knew what it was he was supposed to be witnessing about, and maybe better said, he knew who it was he was supposed to be witnessing about. See, because all of you have witness in your life, like you are a witness to something in your life, just are the things you witness about and who you witness about is it eternal? Like all of you, you're a witness to people around you about something. And we can spend weeks, months, years building a witness to where other people can hear what we have to say and all it takes is a few moments for us to blow our witness. Am I right? When I was 16, 17 and just truly fell in love with Jesus, time of my life I knew I wanted, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life, I just knew I wanted to live for Christ. And as I was uh, just <clears throat> trying to discover what it meant to be a sold-out follower of Jesus, I, I went to Mardell Bookstore. I think there are only a few of them around, Mardell Christian Bookstore. And I just started buying T-shirts. And I would wear Christian T-shirts that had all the kind of cheesy stuff on them. Like I remember one that said, uh, people use duct tape to fix things, God uses nails. Like I, and I would wear it. And as cheesy as some of the T-shirts may be, what it did for me in my life is when I walked a large public school high school that I went to in Dallas, when I walked hallways and interacted with people, based on what I was wearing, it made me think hard about the things that would come out of my mouth or what jokes I would laugh at or how I treated people when I was in public spaces. And whenever I'm driving around and I see people in cars with with uh, bumper stickers that have, you know, honk if you love Jesus or some kind of Christian symbol on your car. A lot of times I pray for those people that, God, they are wearing Christ on their car. May they not ruin their witness by the way they drive in Memphis today. <laughs> the church, wear your crosses. Put them on your ears. Hang them on your neck. Tattoo them on your body. Like, wear them, but if you're going to wear them, be a witness for what it is you're wearing. Think about it. This is why I have to be real careful when I'm cheering for my kids at their events. I can blow a witness quick up in the stands, right? This is where I refuse to wear Sycamore View Church shirts whenever I'm cheering for my kids because I do not want to bring anything negative upon who we are here. This is why I wear Highland and White Station Church of Christ shirts to all the, all the kids of this. And I would make that joke at Highlander White Station, all right? I love both those churches, all right? But we can blow a witness quick. 
In John chapter 1, 6 through 9, one thing it says is this, the true light is coming into the world, and that light enlightens everyone. And when the light of God, the light of Jesus shines on us, things happen. Two quotes I want to put in front of you real quick. And one is this. It says, we all exist on at least three levels. There is the person as he or she appears in public. The person as he or she is known to intimates, which include family and dear friends. And that person deepest of all, who is only known to him or herself, where all the aspirations, resentments, fantasies, desires, and much else that is not ready for public knowledge reside. Henry Nouwen says this, I'm beginning to see how radically the character of my spiritual journey will change when I no longer think of God as hiding out and making it difficult as possible for me to find Him, but instead as the one who is looking for me while I am doing the hiding. So I want to end just three things real quick. Three things we witness to, based on just how John the Baptist witnesses. And the first one is this, we witness to the light. And I want you to think about in darkness, this is where suffering and pain can happen. When the lights go out at your house and there is no light and you try to make it around your house, this is where pain can happen. This is where we can bump in the cabinets. We can jam a toe. And you think about so many people right now in this season of life who seem to be walking in darkness. And then I want you, I want to use a priestly voice right now just to encourage you in the weeks to come how God wants to use you as a light to shine in dark places so that people can find their way. God wants to use you as a light. Number two, we witness to the Lamb. Just as John says two different times in John chapter 1, he is the Lamb of God. We witness to the Lamb. Now, I know for people outside of the Christian faith, the idea of Jesus being a Lamb is like foreign to them, and for some people in the Christian faith. Like, it's hard to wrap our minds around, like, sacrificial system, lamb of God. Like, this is, it's not language we use all the time, but for us, we get to be a witness to one who has sacrificed his life so that people can find life. The idea of atonement and sacrifice and the love of God so that we could have life. There was a witness in there. And number three is we witness, we witness to the Lord. We witness to the light, the lamb, and the Lord. And think about what it means for you to take on the motto in your life. I must decrease, Jesus must increase. Less of me, more of him. Which comes from a confident place. That I want to be so confident in who I am in God, less of me and more of Christ. There are these two words in my studies of John chapter 1 that would not let me go. And it's where it says, John was sent from and there was something about those two words that just wouldn't let me go. Sent from. Because you think about it, John had an assignment. And I don't know if you've ever seen one of the Bourne movies, like Bourne Identity, but Jason Bourne, uh, a lot of times people like him, who had the same profession he did, they would just, something would just pop up on a cell phone. Like, here's your assignment. Here's the face of a person. You need to go find them. Here's a little information about them. You go and find them. And this is not how God does assignments. So this isn't language of being sent for or even sent by or sent so that. The language is sent from. It's a phrase of belonging. John the Baptist was sent from the heart of God. Like who he was with God. 
into the world. And this is how I want us to think about communion today. Jesus was sent from the place of God, sent from heaven to come to this earth, to live his life, and to become the ultimate witness. And as we take the bread and cup today, this is a place of belonging. We don't take this to, you know, give us a hundred sin plan for the week until we can re-up next Sunday. This is not about appeasing God or earning favor with God. This is because of what God has done for us. And from the table today, we are being sent from God into the world to be a light to the Lamb who points to the Lord. I want to go ahead and ask if Jenna will go to my right. I think Shelly Eaton is coming to my left as prayer leaders today to receive you for prayer. Two elders, if you will, go ahead and go in the front and the back. I don't remember who the elders are today. I see Mark Powell move in. Mark and Debbie are in the back. Whoever the elder, uh, Reggie's going to be up front. And we are here any way we can pray hope into your life, light into your life, hope and light into someone else that you know that we need to pray for. We are here for you. I'll be up here to my left today. And in the next few moments, we're going to move to tables as a church to take the bread and the cup to be reminded of the witness Jesus is for us and the witness we are called to be for Jesus. So let's bow our heads as we pray. And God, we give you thanks. You didn't have to come, but you did. You could have done this. You could have brought salvation to this world in a thousand different ways, yet you chose to come in human flesh, to live among us, to die, to conquer the grave, to launch your church. So God, today we thank you for being with us. Remind us in this meal of who we are in you and send us from this table today to be people who live with a mission. Through Christ we pray, amen.